You're listening to Chameleon Church. Biblical antidotes for the modern man. With your host, Alan Aguirre. A Faceless Gen production. Seven Mountaintop initiative, prophecy, strategy is a huge piece of the Kingdom of Heaven. So I strongly recommend showing up on Thursdays. If not, the, the, the notes are back there on that wall for uh, last Thursday. Um, you guys can do some studying ahead of time since we're taking this week off. Uh, we're, we'll be out of town, so we won't be able to help you with that this week. But Mike's going to bring a Pastor Mike. I'm sure he'll bring an anointed word from the Holy Spirit. Woo-hoo. Amen. That's Pastor Mike. Mr. Pastor Mike. All right, the kingdom of heaven. Uh, you guys should have notes. Part four, the Joshua principle type of stuff. I uh, hope you have your Bibles because... There's a lot of scripture we're going to be running through. The idea is to get through this whole thing tonight. So, what can I say? Father, your spirit of wisdom and revelation, your quickening Holy Spirit, that our minds and our hearts will align ourselves with your precepts and your mandates. How does everybody like the way the seats are? I like it a lot. It's awesome, isn't it? I think it's a great thing. I think it's rad. I'm glad many thought of it. It's good. It's a good idea. So, a lot of the stuff we've been talking about uh, has been regarding changing our mind, what we need to do to renew our mind, totally change our way, the way we think, how we process information. And again, the reason for that is so that our behavior will change. You can't change your behavior until your mind has been changed. And you can't change your mind until your body has been changed. The kingdom of heaven... The Joshua Principle. This was huge for, for my family, me and my family, when we got the revelation of the Joshua Principle. And it was really cool the way the Lord orchestrated it because months later, uh, we were able to get the Seven Mountaintop. Uh, we, we heard that teaching. We went and uh, actually saw it being taught by the guys that got it. And it was like, wow, this is a huge piece of the puzzle to what we're already experiencing and doing in regards to the Joshua Principle. So it was, it was phenomenal. Lots of accelerated revelation in the Word. Uh, the end of 2007, going way into the deep of 2008. It was pretty, pretty intense. Uh, our going to Israel occurred as well. Uh, the, the, the community in Cyprus. It was, you know, prophesied over us. It was, uh, it was huge. Anthony and I, uh, Anthony was pretty much our mentor in the principle, and then we both got the, uh, 
got involved with the Seven Mountaintop thing at the same time. So it was very significant, both to our families and our businesses. It's pretty rad. The foundation, if you have your Bibles, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 10. And this, we've read this before, but I want to bring this up again. For brothers, I don't want you to miss the significance of what happened to our fathers. All of them were guided by the pillar of cloud, and they all passed through the sea. And in connection with the cloud and with the sea, they all immersed themselves, were baptized, into Moses. Also, they all ate the same food from the Spirit, and they all drank the same drink from the Spirit. For they drank from a Spirit-sent rock, which followed them. And that rock was the Messiah. Yet with the majority of them, not a few... The majority, usually 80%. Yet with the majority of them, God was not pleased. So their bodies were scattered across the desert, not lost, but dead. Now these things took place as examples or prefigurative historical events, warning us not to set our hearts on evil things as they did. Don't be idolaters as some of them were, as the Tanakh or the Old Testament puts it. The people sat down to eat and drink, then got up to indulge in pagan revelry. And let us not engage in sexual immorality, as some of them did, with the consequence of that 23,000 died in a single day. Not quite sure where Paul's getting this number, because you won't find it in the biblical text. I've looked. So, that's always a little interesting. And let us not put the Messiah, and if you do see it in the biblical text, let me know. Maybe I just missed it. Uh, And let us not put the Messiah to the test. Don't test the Lord, as some of them did. And we're destroyed by snakes. And don't grumble. We've been talking about that. And don't grumble, as some of them did. And we're destroyed by the destroying angel. Who knows who the destroying angel is? In the text. Don't you remember God told Moses to tell the people, I'm sending an angel with you on this wilderness experience trek. Don't make him mad. Because there is no repentance in him. If you make him mad, he will kill you. That's crazy. But it says it. Um, so they were destroyed by the destroying angel for grumbling. These things happened to them as examples. And they were written down as a warning to us. The New Testament church. This is Paul writing to the Corinthians. Paul writing to Gentiles. A predominantly Gentile church. That these are examples and a warning to us whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So, New Testament church model. Don't do what Israel did. What did they do? Fear, doubt, unbelief, grumble. They just didn't cooperate with the Lord. They didn't obey His commandments. They wouldn't follow His precepts and His mandates. And this is what happened to them. And Paul's saying, that's a warning for us. Don't do it. I think it's pretty simple. Hebrews chapter 3. You have your notes, right? So you know where we're at. And you got your Bibles out and you're following along. No? Wow. Now, so I could be making this up. I could be making all of this up and you wouldn't know. All right. Now, where it says, Today, if you hear God's voice, don't harden your hearts, as you did in the bitter quarrel, as in the rebellion, or we call transition. The wilderness experience is transition. Who were the people who, after they heard, quarreled so bitterly or rebelled? All those whom Moses brought out of Egypt... And with whom was God disgusted for 40 years? That's a heavy-duty word. God's disgusted with you? You don't want God to be disgusted with you. I guarantee. For 40 years, those who sinned, yes, they fell dead in the wilderness. And to whom was it that He swore that they would never enter His rest? Those who were disobedient. 
So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. The writer of Hebrews is talking about the wilderness experience that happened right after Sinai. Two weeks into the trek, they were complaining. We don't have any food. We don't have any water. God brought us out here to kill us. When? That wasn't the case. God brought them out there so he could establish his people group. So he could be their God. They could be his people, kings and priests. I will be your God. You will be my people. But because their hearts said, hey, we don't have any food or water. He brought us out here to kill us. Well, they didn't have any food or water. But that's besides the point. See, that's the key. That is the key. With their practical reasoning, which we've discussed, like pagans, like Egyptian slaves, they said, we've been out here for two weeks. We don't have any food or water. He's brought us out to kill us. But if they had remembered the promises that had occurred two weeks prior to that, and the string of miracles that he used to manifest his greatness so that he would get Pharaoh to let him go, right? Plagues, watching out the sun, uh, leading all the way up to the firstborn of every male, human, and animal, starting with Pharaoh. I mean, that's, that's some huge mojo on God's behalf, on our behalf. And two weeks later, they're going, he brought us out here to kill us. He pulled a, a fast one. He punked us. He pulled a fast one on us. God doesn't do that. So because of their heart, they ended up experiencing what they experienced for 40 years. It's called the Tunnel of Transition. We'll get into that later when it comes to the Seven Mountains because most people don't like change. Most people don't like going through transition. It feels like hell, but they think God's in it. Right? And what, and what, ha- what, what God's actually doing is He's trying to take you from A to B. Most of the time we don't get to B because we didn't have a clear ending on A before we're going to have a clear beginning in B. And the, 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 what happens is he's trying to promote us. And what ends up happening is we end up disqualifying ourselves in the process of our own promotion, 80% of us. And it's usually an integrity issue. We'll get deeper than that when it comes to the, the seven mountains. Joseph and Daniel are great examples of this. Joseph's the best, I mean, really a great, clear illustration of it. All the various transitions that he was experiencing to get to where? Second Pharaoh status. (laughs) To rule Egypt as a second Pharaoh. He had to experience all those parts, all those steps, to get to that place. Had a great dream, made his family mad, put in a pit, sold into slavery, falsely accused of sexual immorality, thrown back into the prison, is left there and forgotten there, but we know he had a good, um, his whole perspective wasn't like ours would probably have been. Why do we know that? Because he ends up taking over the prison and ends up running it. If you have a bad attitude, you're not going to get promoted at your job and anything. If you have a bad attitude, you're pretty much the one they're talking about getting rid of. Not promoting. Joseph's promoted. He's running the jail. And the next thing you know, uh, interpretation needed by Pharaoh. And oh I, oh, I remember this guy that can interpret dreams. And he gets elevated to second Pharaoh. He could have opted out so many times, but he didn't. He maintained, got through the tunnel of transition, comes out on the other end, and is able to disciple nations because of what he did to prep for the famine. Everybody following me? Alright. So the wilderness experience must happen. It has to occur. Everybody goes through it. No one, no one is immune to it. And if you can show me somewhere 
in the Bible where someone is immune and got to bypass the wilderness experience, that transition we're talking about, I'd love to hear about it because I don't know of any. Not even Jesus did. Did he? No. And he's Jesus. David. David's given the kingdom spiritually, but he has to wait 15 years physically for it. <laughs> right? Abraham wanders for how long? Moses. He only gets to see the promised land. He doesn't actually enter it. Does he, Corinth? He did. Remember how we talked about that? Corinth's the one that pointed out to me one day, hey, Papa, you know, Moses did enter the promised land. I'm like, what are you talking about? Again? He's on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's in the promised land. He's deep in it. <laughs> yeah, pretty cool. All right. That's what Paul's referring to. The exodus of Israel out of Egypt. Here's the covenant in Deuteronomy 34. Adonai said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring, your descendants. That's the, promise, the covenant promise from God. Okay? It's a twofold covenant. The promise is to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob... Right? It's a promise. Two, I will be your God, you will be my people. That's, that's huge. He's establishing himself on the earth through man. That's pretty huge. He's doing that to what we talked about? To offset the demonic strain of humanity on the earth. Here's the objective. To possess the land. Right? That's the objective. Remember, we're talking about the Joshua Principle. We're hanging, we've crossed the Jordan... We're hanging out in Gil- at Gilgal before we can attack Jericho. What's the objective? To possess the land. The Strong's number for the word possess in Hebrew is 03423. This means to occupy dri- by driving out the previous tenants, possessing in their place. By implication, to seize, to rob, to inherit, also to expel, to impoverish, to ruin, to cast out, to consume, destroy disinherit, dispossess, to drive or driving out, to enjoy, spell, without fail, give to, leave for an inheritance or a magistrate, to be or make poor, to come to poverty, to give, to make, to possess, to get, to have, intake, possession, seize upon, succeed, utterly. That's, that's an aggressive word. Very aggressive. And violent. To totally disinherit, to leave no trace of a previous inhabitant, to wipe them out. That's, that's, that's the objective. Then the, object, then the next part of the objective is to reap where they haven't sowed, and to gather where they haven't laid seed. Deuteronomy 6. So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olives which you did not plant. That is reaping where you didn't sow. I'm getting all this, and I didn't do anything to build it, to make it, to plant it, but I'm going to reap I'm going to reap it, and I didn't sow I'm going to gather, but I didn't lay the seed. Jesus uses this trait, this attribute, to reap and gather, to describe himself. Remember, we've we've touched on some of this. Matthew 25. Now the one who had received one talent came forward and said, I knew you were a hard man, 
You harvest where you didn't plant and gather where you didn't sow seed. You wicked, lazy servant, said his master. So you knew, did you, that I harvest where I haven't planted and that I gather where I didn't sow seed? That's Jesus speaking of himself as the master. Everybody remember the parable of the talents? Here's how Luke puts it. Then another one came and said, Sir, here is your money. I kept it hidden in a piece of cloth because I was afraid of you. You take out what you didn't put in, and you harvest what you didn't plant. To him the master said, You wicked servant, I will judge you by your own words. So you knew, did you, that I was a severe man, taking out what I didn't put in and harvesting what I didn't plant. If we know this about Jesus, oh, so you knew. If you know this about Jesus and you're not doing anything about this, he casts you out, calls you wicked. It's a really bad case scenario. If you knew that he was that type of Lord and he's expecting us to follow in the same attributes, what attribute is that? To reap what we don't sow, gather what we don't see, to take the manette, to take the talent, the, the money, to take what he's given us to be stewards of and to double it. That's what those two parables are about. He has deposited something in every single one of you, every single one of us, based on our predetermined abilities of stewardship, right? We know people, we all know somebody that makes. So much money, we can't even fathom how they made it or how much they're actually working with. Do we not? And we all know people that make $25,000 a year. The guy with all that money that, we can't, that, that kind of blows our mind, that, whoa, <laughs> uh, I can't even fathom that. He was given that to be steward of based on a predetermined ability. Saved or unsaved. And we have been given what we've been given to be stewards of based on a predetermined steward level. And then we're supposed to show that we can double it. We're supposed to grow in that, right? So 30-fold, 60-fold, 80-fold. We need to be able to increase that. And he's coming back to take an account. What have you done with what I've given you? doesn't matter if it's one. doesn't matter if it's five. He's coming back to take an account. And we have to be able to go, I doubled it. I was a good steward. The guy that hid it or buried it he goes, why didn't you put it in the bank? I could have gotten interest. And especially if you knew I was a hard ass. Because that's what it says. I hope that doesn't offend anybody. But do you know what I mean? You all follow me? If you know this about me, that I reap where I don't sow and I gather where I don't lay seed, and you still didn't do anything about it? See, that's what Jesus is saying. He's calling them wicked. This attribute of Israel to possess, to reap where they hadn't sown, and to gather where they hadn't laid seed, was also an attribute Messiah used to describe himself. The Gentile believers inherited this attribute through our adoption and our grafting in. Romans 8. All who are led by God's Spirit are God's sons. This is who you are. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to bring you back again into fear. On the contrary... You receive the spirit of sonship, adoption, and by whose power we cry out, Abba, that is, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our own spirits that we are children of God. And if we are children, then we are also heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with the Messiah. Provided, uh, here's here's the clause, provided we are suffering with Him in order also to be glorified with Him. What? have to suffer with him? To be glorified in him? Galatians. 
So it is with us. When we were children, we were slaves to the elemental spirits of the universe. But when the appointed time arrived, God sent forth His Son. He was born from a woman, born into a culture in which legalistic perversion of the Torah was the norm, so that He might redeem these in subjection to this legalism and thus enable us to be made God's sons. Ephesians. Praise be Adonai, Father of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah, who in the Messiah has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heaven. In the Messiah He chose us in love before the creation of the universe to be holy and without defect in His presence. He determined in advance that through Yeshua the Messiah we would be His sons, in keeping with His pleasure and purpose, so that we would bring Him praise commensurate with the glory of the grace He gave us through the Beloved One. Before we can begin to apply this attribute, we have to lay the same foundation the Israelites had to lay before entering the land. And here's the principle. Joshua, chapter 1. Any questions? Any complaints? Any concerns? Any, foul, any cries of foul? Blasphemy? Hang them up! Awesome. String them up. Whatever. Hang them from the rafters. Joshua chapter 1. Moses, my servant, is dead. So now, get up and cross over this Jordan, you and all the people into the land that I am giving to them, the people of Israel. I am giving you every place you will step on with the sole of your foot, as I said to Moses. Verse 5. No one will be able to withstand you as long as you live. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will neither fail you nor abandon you. Be strong and courageous, for you will cause this people to inherit the land I swore to their fathers I would give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the Torah which Moses my servant ordered you to follow. Do not turn from it, either to the right or to the left. Then you will succeed wherever you go. Did you see the, the answer? What was the answer to the success? See, a lot of people teach this and read this, and they leave that part out. Be, be strong and very courageous in being careful to do the Torah, which Moses, my servant, ordered you to follow. Do not turn from it, either to the right or to the left. Then do that, you will succeed. You will succeed wherever you go. Yes, keep this book of the Torah on your lips and meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and you will succeed. Haven't I ordered you to be strong and courageous? So don't be afraid or downhearted, because Adonai your God is with you wherever you go. But you heard what the condition of that relationship was, was. Obey the Torah, keep it on your lips, meditate on it day and night, do not veer to the left, do not veer to the right of it, and you better be sure you're obeying it and observing it. And then you will prosper, and then you will succeed, and then I will, you will receive the land as your inheritance. You don't believe that's why what he's saying? I have some more scriptures. Joshua prepares the people to cross over the Jordan and to possess the land. 
Joshua sends two spies to spy out Jericho. The two spies strike up a deal with the prostitute. The people are assembled to cross over the Jordan as they had as they had over the Red Sea. The overflowing Jordan was parted and they crossed over dry ground. They erect a 12 stone monument and now they're camping at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. See, when they were in the desert, the manifestation of the Lord was what? Pillar of smoke by day, pillar of fire by night. Scripture says they were angels. And they received manna from heaven. Correct? Once they were in the promised land, and they did Passover, they ate of the, the good of the land, right, where they hadn't sowed, they're reaping where they don't sow, gathering where they don't see, the manna stopped, and now Joshua encounters, which we're going to read, a man standing by the river, and he's holding a sword, and he's a commander of the armies of the Lord, and they're going to war. See, no more manna, no more smoke, no more fire. Here's the new revelation, and we're going to battle. We're going to go fight. Commander of the army of the Lord. That guy. Come on, you know that guy. And he's got a sword out. It's a whole new manifestation. It's a whole new deal. It's a whole new game. It's a whole new revelation. It's a whole new thing. Like we were talking about. It's new wine. And they've got the new wineskins to put that new wine into. No more manna. No more smoke and fire. Now in Joshua 5, like we talked about when it comes to the circumcision, we have three key revelations. Joshua circumcises all the fighting men, the second generation. Right? We know about the Egyptian slave mentality. We talked about that. Everybody remember that? Anybody have any questions about that? The people of Israel celebrate Passover and then reap where they haven't sown and gather where they don't have not laid seed by eating from the land. Then the manna stops. And then a new manifest revelation of Adonai in Joshua 5, 10-15. The people of Israel camped at Gilgal and they observed Passover on the 14th day of the month. There on the plains of Jericho. The day after Passover they ate what the land produced, matzah, unleavened bread, and roasted ears of grain that day. The following day, after they had eaten food produced in the land, the manna ended. From then on, the people of Israel no longer had manna. Instead, that year, they ate the produce of the land of Canaan. One day, when Joshua was there by Jericho, he raised his eyes and looked. And in front of him stood a man with his drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went over to him and asked him, Are you on our side or on the side of our enemies? No, he replied. Other translations say, neither. (laughs) Wow, what is that all about? But I am the commander of Adonai's army. I have come just now. Joshua fell down with his face to the ground and worshipped him, and then asked, What does my Lord have to say to his servant? The commander of Adonai's army answered Joshua, Take your sandals off your feet, because the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. God has spoken. He's instructed, he's called them to intimacy, and he's equipping them. We're supposed to respond proactively by believing, submitting, giving back, consecrating ourselves, doing what he said, aligning ourselves with our assignment. Here's some examples of that from the New Testament. Remember the feeding of the 5,000? We talked about that. Jesus says, feed them, and they're like, uh, we don't have any money. We don't have the resources. Do you remember this? What do you have? we got five loaves and two fishes. He takes them. He consecrates it. Right? God speaks do this. They're like, uh... He takes it, consecrates it, gives it back to them, and then they're able to manifest the provision and 
you know, they gather how many extra, how many extra baskets? Twelve, seven. I mean, a lot more than they started off with, right? It happens again with the feeding of the four thousand. Except this time, he's actually, in my opinion, he's punking them, deliberately punking them. Read it again. It's like, hmm, what's wrong, Jesus? I wish we could feed these people. And they're like, ah, we don't have the money for that. It would take a year's wages. And he's like, oh. because, boy, hey, whatever. I'm reading it, right? Because he's like, oh, I just, we just did this, and you still don't get it. Oh, it's crazy. And then in Mark eight fifteen through twenty one, oh, their lack of understanding is just crazy. He's like pulling his threads out. How could I possibly be talking about bread? Oh, he's mad because we didn't bring any bread. And he's like, oh. We fed 5,000 with what? We fed 4,000 with what is that? Why can't you comprehend this? It's the obstacle of unbelief. We have it in the, in the boat. Because he tells them, after feeding 5,000, get in the boat, go to the other side, and I'll meet you on the other side of the, of the Galilee. A massive storm comes. They're afraid. They think they're going to die. Then they see him walking and they think he's a phantom. See, Jesus, God speaks, or Jesus speaks, God speaks. So we believe it's going to come to pass. What we need to understand is, we're going to be opposed once he speaks, before we can even act most of the time. We're going to be opposed with the resistance from the enemy that's going to make it look impossible for us to go forward with the task he has set us to do. And that's where the 80 to 20% projectile comes in. The 80% are like, oh, see, it wasn't God. Because if God, God wouldn't put this wall, God wouldn't put this problem, He wouldn't put this storm, He wouldn't put this war uh, for seven nations <laughs> in front of us. That's how we react. But when we should be responding is, no, He said it. It's going to come to pass. Two of them, Caleb and Joshua said, we've got this. And the other ten said, no, we're going to die. But the fear and doubt in the people, and they wandered for 40 years based on that. Don't react. Respond correctly. Part of being able to command the kingdom is to be able to get your body, soul, and spirit in agreement with what you want to manifest. We want to manifest obedience. God spoke. I want the faith to be able to walk in His instruction, His direction, and what He has spoken over us. But we have to put our body, soul, and spirit in agreement with what He wants, what we want to manifest. We're all big on being transformed by the renewing of our mind, but we're a little slow in the, the verse preceding that, and that's present your body. Present your body as what? Living sacrifice. Throw yourself on the altar willingly. Worship, for example. That's not worship. That's not worship. Band's going, spirit's flowing, and you're sitting in your seat looking down at your shoes, or you're on your phone. Or who knows what you're doing. Well, I'm not, I'm not an expressive worshiper. Well, become expressive. <laughs> your body. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Your body does what your soul does. If your soul says, I'm hungry, you feed it. Whether it's food or immorality. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Submit your body. Because your mind's going to follow 
then your behavior. Worship's a great example. Submit your body, right? Present your body. You should be doing this. <laughs> or dancing, or something. Clapping. Do you guys know how to clap? Maybe on a Saturday morning we can give a clapping class. On two and four. <laughs> not, not the one and three. Black people. That's hilarious. <laughs> you have to worship. Raise your hands. Clap. Sing out loud. Annoy your neighbor with your worship. That's the best way to start this process. Worship is a great place to start the process of presenting your body so that your mind will follow, so that your behavior will follow, so that part of being able to command the kingdom is to be able to get your body, soul, and spirit in agreement with what you want to manifest. Is this what you want to manifest? Or this? Or do you want to manifest the kingdom? It tells us what they had to do to cross the Jordan. The, the priests went forward before the army. Look at what they had to do to tear down Jericho. They had to clap, they had to yell, they had to march, blow shofars. Present your body. <clears throat> Worship's a good example of how to get that process going if you're not doing that already. Your body is one-third of the, of the integration. Paris Island understands this. That's where they go and make little soldier boys. Isn't that right, Asa? Which is why they'll take an 18-year-old punk, for example, and turn him into a killing machine that understands authority. And they can do that in about 13 weeks. They can do that in 13 weeks. You know why? Because they practice this. They practice transformation. They take this individual, strip him of everything, and tell him to do what he doesn't want to do. And he has to do it. And it's all the body. Waking up, and now, you know, I mean, Asa can explain it to you. But it's the process of what they're doing to this person's body that their mind follows. So by week 8, 9, and 10, man, they hear, boom, bam. It's like they're not even thinking about it. It's like, boom. They're ready to go. They practice and exercise transformation. Remember what Paul said? You're supposed to work your spiritual man out like, a, like an athlete does? Yeah. Again, do you want to be a 30-fold, 60-fold, 80-fold, or 100-fold believer? That's what it comes down to. How much you put into this is how much you're going to get out of it. Jeez, uh, kumbaya. Or, oh man, you know. Yeah, kumbaya. They create an environment. This is how they do it. They create an environment conducive to making a soldier. They create an environment. That guy, Asa, you didn't have any chance, any, any no choice in the matter. They created this environment where you had to submit to it, and that environment had one goal in, in store for you, and that was to make you a soldier. That was it. Then they let them know that their body serves them. They don't serve their body. And then your body can do things you never thought it could. If you don't believe me, talk to him later. He'll tell you. This is true. Alan speaks the truth. Like that? When you will to do his will, the resources you need manifest. A lot of the stuff you don't even have to figure out to make it manifest. You 
just have to be in agreement that it's heaven's will, and then you discipline this, the mind, to watch what happens next. That's how you renew your mind, and that's how you change your behavior, and that's how transformation this is all part of transformation. Israel had to understand this. They had to understand this in order to go into the land, in order for them to be able to capture seven nations. That's where the circumcision came in, remember? See how I'm breaking all this down? They had to change this. Oh, I'm no longer an Egyptian slave. But first, what had to happen to their body? See? Body, then the mind, behavior, your kings and priests. We're going to let you heal now for a little bit. Then we're going to go after Jericho. And on Thursday night, we mentioned how we mentioned a little bit about how these guys don't know those of us that have been here just five months. They don't know what we've been through. They don't know what we've gone through the last six, eight years. They weren't here. That's true. We weren't here. But it can't be worse than what Israel went through in the desert. Their parents were slaughtered. Uncles and aunts, cousins, families, whole entire family groups were wiped out, killed, dead, in all sorts of different ways. And now they're being expected to stand up, get over it, shake it off, and go forward and go to war? Yeah, that's insensitive. That's incredibly insensitive. From a practical human reasoning. But this is God. This is what God's doing this. He's like, yeah, I know what happened to you guys in the desert. I did it to you. Now, I need you to go do this in order to survive, in order to accomplish what I've called you to do. That's what separates us from being chosen or called. Many are called, few are chosen. Does it not say that? Who wants to be chosen? Who wants to be called? But when you ask them, who wants to be called? This is what it takes. Called, you got saved, you got your golden ticket, I'm good to go. But the chosen... Chosen walk the kingdom. The chosen bring down the kingdom. The called, they're just kind of slipping by. I don't have to fast. It's not a salvation issue. I mean, I can sit here all night and talk about that. I'm surrounded by it. Not necessarily here, but I'm surrounded by it out there. It's crazy. Crazy, 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 crazy. Many are called, few are chosen. Here's the difference. The chosen separate themselves from being the called based on whether or not they can discern or hear. This is God, I just don't understand it yet. Versus having to understand it before they can agree with it. That's a religious spirit. And they usually go, oh, no, the revelation of God stops right here because God wouldn't, wouldn't go any further than that because this is all I can handle. We have to make these decisions. Called or chosen? Are we going to be separate? kings and priests, because that's not what everybody's I mean, I'll tell you this right now the majority have no interest in being kings or priests it's too much work, it's too hard and I'm just not going to do it just not going to do it there are two key elements of the principle here's how we here's some mechanics intimacy and stewardship Joshua 1, only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the Torah, which Moses, my servant, ordered you to follow. Do not turn from it, either to the right or to the left. Then you will succeed wherever you go. Yes, keep this book of the Torah on your lips and meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. 
for then you will make your way prosperous and you will succeed. That's intimacy, man. That's intimacy. On your lips, meditating on it day and night. What are we talking about? We're talking about the Word of God. Intimacy. Deuteronomy. So now, O Israel, all that Adonai your God asks from you is to fear Adonai your God. Follow all His ways. Love Him and serve Adonai your God with all your heart and all your being to obey for your own good the commandments and regulations of Adonai which I am giving you today. Intimacy. Matthew, but seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Hebrews, and without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. James, come close to God and He will come close to you. Psalms, trust in Adonai and do good. Settle in the land and feed on faithfulness. Then you will delight yourself in Adonai and He will give you your heart's desire. Intimacy. But when the Pharisees learned that He had silenced the Sadducees, they got together and, and one of them, who was a Torah expert, asked a question to trap him. Rabbi, which of the commandments in the Torah is the most important? And he told them, You are to love Adonai your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. This is the greatest and the most important commandment. The most important mitzvah. Intimacy. Intimacy with the Lord. Period. Stewardship. Intimacy and stewardship. is what. That's why Joshua is his successor. That's why Joshua was going to lead this charge. He was incredibly intimate with the Lord. He spent time in the tent in the, the tent of meeting after Moses would leave and staying there all night long. He got really intimate. And he was a good steward. He carried this. He carried it faithfully. I mean, he left Egypt. Everyone else died around him and he, make, he makes it across the Jordan. That takes a lot of stewardship. Stewardship. The kingdom of heaven will be like a man about to leave home for a while who entrusted his possessions to his servant. To one he gave five talents, equivalent to a hundred years' wages. To another, two talents. And to another, one talent. To each according to his ability. See? Right there. To each according to his ability. Then he left. The one who had received five talents immediately got on his knees and prayed for God's will and whether he should do something with it, just like a good Christian would. That's not what it says. The one who, was, who had received five talents immediately went out, invested it, and earned another five. Oh, he immediately put into action what he knew to do based on his predetermined skill set. We would go and pray about it and get all the counsel we could and call all our friends and say, hey, what do I do with this stuff? What should I do? Do you think I should? Oh, man, this guy went and he just he acted. He went. He did. Most of us don't do. We pray a lot about what we should do. And we never, a lot of us never end up doing it. It's a form of fear and false humility. Similarly, the one given two earned another two. But the one given one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Didn't do anything with it. Bad stewardship. After a long time, the master of those servants returned to settle accounts with them. The one who had received five talents came forward, bringing the other five, and said, Sir, you gave me five talents. Here I have made five more. His master said to him, Excellent. You are a good and trustworthy servant. You have been faithful with a small amount. So I will put you in charge of a large amount. Come and join in your master's happiness. Isn't that our, the end goal here? <laughs> that's, why, that's why I'm doing all this. I actually want to hear, Well done, good and faithful servant. That's why I, I'm here. And I, what I mean by here is, that's why I'm a believer. I love him who first loved me. That's why 
I'm in Dallas. That's why I'm in Park City. That's why I do what I do. I want to hear that. I really do. I want to hear that. I'd rather hear that than my name. And the Grammy goes to, you know what I'm saying? This is more important to me. I really, 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 really need to hear that at the end of my life. That's my goal. Also, the one who had received two came forward and said, Sir, you gave me two talents here. I've made two more. His master said to him, Excellent. You're a good and trustworthy servant. You've been faithful with a small amount, so I will put you in charge of a large amount. Come and join your master's happiness. Now the one who had received one talent came forward and said, I knew you were a hard man. You harvest where you didn't plant and gather where you didn't sow seed. I was afraid, so I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, take what belongs to you. You wicked, lazy servant, said his master. So you knew, did you, that I harvest where I haven't planted and that I gather where I don't sow seed? Then you should have deposited my money with the bankers so that when I returned, I would at least have gotten back interest with my capital. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten. Everyone who has something will be given more, so that he will have more than enough. But from anyone who has nothing, even what he does have will be taken away. Sounds like poverty. See what it says before that? For everyone who has something will be given more, so that he will have more than enough. Stewardship. That's a result of good stewardship. Let me repeat that. If you're a good steward, remember what Anthony said? He said that Bill Johnson said that money is the lowest form of spiritual authority. If that's true, oh man, yikes. For everyone who has something will be given more, so that he will have more than enough. But from anyone who has nothing, even what he does have will be taken away. Stewardship. I really believe stewardship determines wealth and poverty. It's one of the aspects for sure. As for this worthless servant, throw him out in the dark where people will wail and grind their teeth. That's like crazy, crazy harsh. There's no mercy or grace there. I was afraid, so I hid it or I buried it. He's like, you could have at least put it in the bank and gotten interest. That guy didn't have, he was not spared. I don't care if it's because of ignorance. I don't care if it's because of fear. I don't care what the reason is. Apparently he doesn't either. No excuse. You did. You were not a good steward with what I left you with to, to be a steward of. Man, that's sobering. This is real stuff. This is Jesus talking. And Luke, this is important. Therefore, he said, a nobleman went to a country far away to have himself crowned king and then return. That's Jesus to earth. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten manim. A maneh is about three months' wages, and said to them, Do business with this while I'm away. But his countrymen hated him, and they sent a delegation after him to say, We don't want this man to rule over us. Sound familiar? However, he returned, having been made king, it's going to happen anyway, and sent for the servants to whom he had given the money to find out what each one had earned in his business dealings. The first one came in and said, Sir, your maneh has earned ten more manim. Excellent, he said to him. You're a good servant because you have been trustworthy in a small matter. I am putting you in charge of ten towns. That's the, that's the millennium rain right there, baby. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I thought I was hanging out on my deck. Right? He's a good steward. Give him ten towns, ten cities to rule over. He's coming back to rule this, this world. Who's going to help him? The second one came and said, Sir, your money has earned five more money. 
And so this one he said, you be in charge of five towns. Can I have some beach property? Then another one came and said, sir, here's your money. I kept it hidden in a piece of cloth because I was afraid of you. You take out what you didn't put in and you harvest what you didn't plant. To him the master said, way to go, bro. You did the best you could. I know your heart. That's what we tell each other. That's what I hear all the time. You know, my brother, he's not work, walking with the Lord and stuff, but you know, he's, he's got, the Lord knows his heart. Yeah, it's wicked. It's evil. It's perverse. It's contrary to everything that God is. They don't expect that. Yeah, he means well. He's a good kid. If he did, he'd have good fruit. People don't talk like that. People talk like that. You ever see as good as it gets? And open up the blinds so he can see God's sunshine come through the window. And Jack Nicholson goes, what do they teach you to talk like that? Go so crazy somewhere else. We're all full here. But that's what, that's what I hear all the time. God knows my heart. God knows his heart. Yeah. It's wicked. It's perverse. It's demonic. Your good intentions don't mean anything. He's looking for good fruit. Not good intentions. If you're not producing fruit, you're broken off and cast into the fire. You wicked servant, I will judge you by your own words. So you knew, did you, that I was a severe man, taking out what I didn't put in and harvesting what I didn't plant? Then why didn't you put my money in the bank? Then when I returned, I would have gotten it back with interest. To those standing by, he said, Take the money from him and give it to the one with ten manim. They said to him, Sir, he already has ten manim. But the master answered, I tell you, everyone who has something will be given more. But from anyone who has nothing, even what he does have will be taken away. However, as far as these enemies of mine who did not want me to be their king, bring them here and execute them in my presence. That's Jesus talking. You know, that pot-smoking, peace-loving Bobby Sherman guy? That's coming back in this banner of nebulous love and peace in all men. Is everything's everything's going to be okay and cool and awesome and all this other crap I hear all day long on Facebook from Christians. No, you know what he's saying here? Bring them here and execute them in my presence. This is serious stuff. It's not for the faint of heart. It's not for passive people. God is not passive. And His disciples can't be passive. Unless you want to be a called, a called one, well then yeah, you can pacify yourself all the way to the end. I don't have to fast. I'm not going to go to hell if I don't fast. And all the other crap I hear out there. It's insane. Are we a chosen people of God? I know I am. Do we have kingdom in our blood? Royal blood? Do we have an assignment? Do we have cities to take over? Do we have people to prepare for His return? A harvest? To rule with Him when He returns? I hope so. Yeah. I hear there's a church in town that if you're sick, go to this church so they can pray for you to get well. Is that true, Mike? Isn't that awesome? We're those guys. Bring us your sick. We'll pray for them. Bring, bring us your demon-possessed. We'll clean them. What are they doing? 
What is that about? Oh, I'm sorry, you're sick? Go to the branch. They'll pray for you. We don't do that here. Wow, 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 wow. I'm not sure what Bible they're reading. But it's not this movie version on my iPhone. Here's the fruit of stewardship. Obedience. Obedience is one of the fruits of stewardship. And here's the fruit of stewardship and obedience. Provision. Provision is promised. Deuteronomy 6. When Adonai, your, your God, has brought you into the land, he swore to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he would give you cities great and prosperous, which you didn't build, houses full of all sorts of good things, which you didn't fill, water cisterns dug up, which you didn't dig, vineyards and olive trees, which you didn't plant, and you have eaten your fill, then be careful not to forget Adonai, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, where you lived as slaves. He will prosper you. He will provide where you'll, you will reap where you didn't sow, and you will gather where you didn't lay seed. Guaranteed. Deuteronomy 8. For Adonai your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and springs and water welling up from the depths in the valleys and on hillsides. It is a land of wheat and barley, grapevines, fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you will eat food in abundance and lack nothing in it, a land where the stones contain iron and the hills can be mined for copper. So you will eat and be satisfied and you will bless Adonai your God for the good land he has given you. That's a whole lot better than bring my enemies over here and slaughter them before my presence. <laughs> I like this, this version of the story. Joshua, then I gave you a land where you had not worked and cities you had not built and you lived there. You eat fruit from vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. All right, That's one of the fruits of stewardship and obedience. Provision. Another one is blessing. Therefore you are to keep the commands, laws, and rulings which I have given you today and obey them because you are listening to these rulings, keeping and obeying them. And obeying them. Adonai your God will keep with you the covenant and mercy that he swore to your ancestors. He will love you, bless you, and increase your numbers. He will also bless the fruit of your body and the fruit of your ground, your grain, wine, olive oil, and the young of your cattle and sheep in the land he swore to your ancestors that he would give you. You will be blessed more than all other peoples. There will not be a sterile male or female among you. Whoa. How come the church doesn't know this? And the same with your livestock. Adonai will remove all illness from you. He will not afflict you with any of Egypt's dreadful diseases, which you have known. Instead, he will lay them on those who hate you. Yeah. You are to devour all the peoples that Adonai your God hands over to you. Show them no pity and do not serve their gods because that will become a trap for you. It plainly says, and I can show you the scriptures, that you will not die prematurely. You will not have miscarriages. You will not be sterile. You will not be impoverished. You will not be poor. If you keep my commandments when you go when you're in the land. It says this, and I can show you those scriptures. It's insane. Wealth. That's another, blood, that's another fruit of what we're talking about. Be careful not to forget Adonai your God by not obeying His commands, rulings, and regulations that I'm giving you today. Otherwise, after you have eaten and are satisfied, built fine houses and lived in them, in them and increased your herds, flocks, silver, gold, and everything else you own, you will become proud-hearted, 
forgetting Adonai your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, where you lived as slaves, who led you through the vast and fearsome desert, where there's poisonous snakes, scorpions, and waterless, thirsty ground, who brought water out of the flint rock for you, who fed you in the desert with men, unknown to your ancestors, all the while humbling and testing you in order to do you good in the end. You will think to yourself, my own power and the strength of my own hand have gotten me this wealth. No, you are to remember Adonai your God, because it is He who has given you the power to get wealth, in order to confirm His covenant, which He swore to your ancestors, as is happening even today. What? The blessing of wealth is a, is a testimony, proof that God is good to you? That's what it said. In order to confirm His covenant, which He swore to your ancestors, as, in hap- as is happening even today. If you forget Adonai your God, follow other gods and serve them and worship them, I am warning you in advance today that you will certainly perish. You will perish just like the nations that Adonai is causing to perish ahead of you, because you will not have heeded the voice of Adonai your God. And we're just like Israel, and look at what happened to Israel. They didn't do this. They didn't do this. We're talking about the Joshua principle. We're talking about what has to happen here, here, Heart, mind, mind, heart, body. Like that. We're talking about what has to happen inside of us in order for us to go into the land and to possess it. Your assignment, your realm, your territory, our territory as a community, believers. Here's the promises, here's what's expected. Here's what happens. This is how you do it. Here's what happens if you don't do it. It's all laid out. It's no, it's not a secret. <laughs> it's not a surprise. It's all here in the text. If you do this, this is what will happen. If you don't do this, this is what's going to happen. Choose you this day who you're going to serve. How long will you stand between two opinions? Serve me. All your heart, strength, soul, mind. The entire resolve. I'll let you read the the warning the warnings for lack of stewardship and obedience on your own. Deuteronomy four. You can do that. Read that by yourself. This, this is what you don't want to happen. See, are you seeing how all this ties together? Israel, the promise, the desert, Egypt, the desert, coming into the land. Israel had to be totally transformed before they could go in and take the land. We have to be completely and entirely transformed, restored, completely changed the way we think. No grumbling, no complaining, no backbiting. All that stuff that's happened here can't happen ever again. Right? If it happens again, something's still broken. Something hasn't been fixed. Transformation hasn't occurred. Rejuvenation hasn't occurred. Life hasn't occurred. We're still sucking on the old wineskin. We can't let that happen. That can't happen again. We can't let the wolves back in. And we can't be wolves ourselves. I won't put up with it. I can't. That would be bad stewardship. And I don't want to be executed before him. See, I have an agenda. (laughs) Okay. I came here to serve... God's doing what He's doing. I have to be a good steward. So I can't allow that kind of stuff. I just can't. If you're going to grumble and complain and backbite or whatever and I hear of it, 
going to go to the principal's office. Because I can't allow that. Because that's not God. That's not transformation. And I have to be a good steward with what he's given me. I didn't put myself up here. I came to help break down, set up. <laughs> I came to serve. God's doing this. Lenny sees me fit to do this. I have to be a good steward of it. I, am, I fear God. So what I want to see is all of us gird ourselves up, man. We're eating from the good of the land. We're not eating manna anymore. Manna sucked. We're eating from the good of the land. It's, it's a rich land. You heard what it says about how good this land is? Well, now we want to go and, and, and totally possess it. Not just occupy. You've occupied for 30 years here. The last church we were at occupied their city for 30 years. Woohoo! I said, no. Possess. Take over. This place, the authority, the demonic ruling authorities, put God in his rightful place of rule over man. That's what we're here to do. Not we. I'm talking we. That's why you were born. That's why you were called before the foundations of the earth. That's why you live. That's why That's why we are here. Don't confuse we. We. This isn't we anymore. It hasn't been we for five months. Don't make it we. It's us. That's why we are here on earth. And that's why we are here in Park City, Wasatch Valley. That's why we are here at the branch. We've got to go forward, man. We are the champions. Can you do that? <laughs> Father God. Father. Come on, stand up. Come on. Nobody excited about this? Golly. Father, stretch your arms out to the Lord. Ask Him. Father, give us your strategy. Download to us your strategies regarding our territory and our realm and the land that you've given us and the role you've given us to play in conquering and capturing and possessing that land. Then we can occupy it without any fear that the wolves will come in or the foxes or the birds or the enemy. Because we have stood our ground, we've taken it over, we've established its borders in your name for your glory so that your son's name will be known throughout the land and the whole earth will know that there's an Elohim in Israel. Yes. That's why we're doing this. Yes. To prepare a people for his return, his harvest. That's why we're here. That's why he called us by name before the foundations of the earth. That's why he's the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. So we can rule with him as kings and priests. Revelation 5. We're tilling the ground. We're preparing the harvest. We're letting people know about Jesus. So when he comes back, he can rule over them. That's why we tell people about the gospel.